Blog Talk Radio. Witches. I'm Raina Star, so you don't have to be. Desperate House Witches is not a GPG or even an R-rated show, so if bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might upset you, this is not the show for you. But you know that's why you tuned in. You can't fool me. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the amazingly wicked one, the incredible Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. The 2023 Home Blessing Ornaments are still available for sale for the next week and a half. So get them while you can. Buy them in pairs because like Aunt Raina always tells you, balls are better in pairs. So check out the social media page for the direct link to wickedwitchstudios.com and those Home Blessing Ornaments. With me for the hour. I'm so happy because I haven't spoken to this wonderful guy in quite some time. The amazing Keldon is with me, and we're going to talk about his book, All Them Witches. Hello, Keldon. Hello. How are you? I'm excellent, and I'm extremely happy to be here. Well, I'm extremely happy to have you back. It's been quite a while. I think the last time we spoke, it was mid-pandemic or something like that. It, it just, it seems like a million years ago. That's how it feels to me. What can I tell you? So how have you been? What's going on in your life? I've been pretty good. It's been kind of an interesting year. This is my, um, I'm just now sort of on the very tail end of my Saturn return, <laughs> which wow. I never really gave thought of until I kind of just realized like, I was like, yeah, this has been kind of a difficult year. And what is that Saturn return thing people always talk about? And I looked it up, and it was like, yeah, you're in it, buddy. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. it's been a process, but I'm doing well. Um, just really trying to tend to my um, everyday life, my, my work, my career, um, and just working on writing projects here and there and as always, spending a lot of time reading. Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed, you know, it's interesting that you talk about your Saturn return. I remember mine being quite difficult. Um, But I've also noticed that this past year has been difficult on so many levels for so many reasons. And it not being my Saturn return, I'm wondering if you got like a double prong whammy with it being your Saturn return and then last year just being extra difficult. Have you noticed um, in your, in your daily um, job um, any interesting uh, ripples with, with clients and such? Yeah. So um, for people who aren't aware, I work as a mental health therapist and 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the last few years, I mean, we don't even need to say it, have just been absolutely crazy. Um, and I think people are still processing and recovering and figuring out, you know, what what is going on, who they are in this world, in this current time. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting that's coming up is a lot in terms of the younger generation and people who have had like significant chunks of their um, high school time in lockdown and how that sort of impacted them socially. Um, really? You know, having spent these really formative years of their life in lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. So, that's definitely something I've I've noticed in others as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've noticed, well, you know, when, when cell phones first came out way back when in the dark ages, which I remember <laughs> quite clearly, quite frankly, um, you know, it's very different now for folks wanting to meet other folks, for folks trying to be in relationships with other folks. You know, when cell phones first came out, it became a thing where everybody was on the phone speaking to each other. And then as time went on and and evolved and folks got a little bit older and a little bit busier, everything was about texting. Everything is still about texting. My, you know, I actually live with one of my children and, well, he's an adult, but still one of my children. And even if he's in the next room, he will text me. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> it's like you could just as easily say, hey, ma, from the next room, but I'm getting a text. And it's, it's so interesting to watch because it seems like the, the things that motivate people are not at all the things that motivate people now. And I'm sure the pandemic has a lot to do with this as far as being in person and in a physical situation. Um, but I was noticing before the pandemic that folks now are kind of like more about finding out if we click with each other first before we even dive headlong into physical stuff. Have you noticed that there has been an increase of of folks maybe backing because in my day it was all let's like let's fuck. I mean, just to be mm-hmm. plain about it, you know that mm-hmm. was what we did. That was the activity. We didn't have we didn't have video games and we didn't have um, Netflix and we didn't have cell phones. We had you're here, I'm here. Let's get something busy right now. And but it's such a different world. What are you seeing? I'm not sure if I necessarily notice a difference in like how people are navigating relationships in that sense. What I notice more is that people have progressively become way more aware of boundaries, of considerations of others and, and themselves, right? Where do I, you know, where do my boundaries lie? What am I okay with? What am I not okay with? Um, mm-hmm. You know, be, and I think that's part of just our collective consciousness evolving and realizing certain things that we've learned in our life, yeah. maybe through um, just ways that we were raised um, or various traumas. And 
mm-hmm. we've sort of internalized them as being normal. And I think we're starting to realize a lot of things that, you know, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say I'm not okay yeah. with that. Um, yeah. You know, and that brings with it its own, you know, um, tension because not everybody is on the same level when it comes to boundaries. And I, you know, we often find that when you start to set boundaries with people, people can become frustrated, um, you know, mm-hmm. to put it easily sometimes um, because they're not used to that. And so they push back yeah. and, you know, it creates, it does create this interesting cycle and dynamic where, you know, then the other person needs to really work on being able to stand firm in their boundaries and hold other people accountable. And I think that's really cool to see, especially, um, again, sort of like in younger generations. Um, yeah. You know, but people of all generations, seeing people realize maybe for the first time in, in their entire life just the, pow- the power of boundary setting. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, in my day, it was... You you know people made each other people made each other feel guilty um, for mm-hmm. not quote unquote giving in necessarily and I'm not talking about just from a sexual standpoint I'm talking about even friends who were like come on let's go party we're gonna go over here and do some drinking and you know the pressure to fit in the pressure to do the thing the pressure to be part of a crowd or a group of friends was very, very strong. And while I look at what younger folks are doing now as sometimes being maybe it's too isolating, the idea mm-hmm. that you value yourself enough to say, listen, you can go do that. I'm not cool with it, so I'm not doing it. And see that other people are starting to respect I mean, yes, there's always going to be the person in the crowd that doesn't respect. And when someone doesn't respect you, you really don't need to be with that person in a hangout situation or any other situation. But it's amazing to see how folks are starting to respect each other's space. And when one party says, no, I'm not cool with, you know, doing that particular scene or being with that particular crowd or this particular situation, much respect that people are finally saying, listen, I don't feel guilty. I want to be in a situation that I'm comfortable in, and I wish I'd had more boundaries. I wish I had been taught about boundaries because a lot of folks from my generation, we were, not, we were not made to feel like we could have them, especially right. some of the women my age who were made to feel like, no, you have to say yes. If somebody, you know, the only way to get along is to go along. And it's so nice to see a totally different viewpoint emerge um, where people are very comfortable saying, no, not for me. Thanks. Exactly. Yeah, it's wonderful. But, you know, something else I've noticed is that – you know, and I mentioned this to you before we went on the air, I noticed that I don't see you on social media. And, you know, social media kind of puts you in your own head and at the same time in everyone else's business. So, you know, when I couldn't find you on social media, I was kind of like, is it me? Did I make him mad? Did he block me? 
is it something I said? Is it something I did? And, you know, and then I was able to catch up with you, and you're like, no. <laughs> so tell people, you know, what your perspective is and, and why we're not seeing you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll just, like, caveat this by saying, you know, I really only am speaking from my experience. Um, but for me, over the last few years, I just grew really frustrated with social media. I mean, I think really the only social media I was ever, you know, really big on in terms of, like, how much I was using was Instagram. I never really got into Twitter. Um, you know, yeah. I've never really been super interested in Facebook. Um, but I really I really felt um, like I could, I could sort of navigate Instagram. Um, and I think part of when it started to become very frustrating to me is when I became an author, um, yeah. you know, but I would say that there were traces of it before that. I think um, progressively what I was seeing is this sort of, um, I guess, approach or way of being when it comes to witchcraft where it's really about um, marketing yourself, promoting yourself somehow and, um, you know, I think this comes up in, in other different communities. I think the artist community, it comes up a lot as well. But, I mean, you really have to be putting yourself out there, posting. If you're not posting, is it even real? Does it even matter? Are you using the right hashtags? Um, mm-hmm. And I just didn't like the way that that felt for me. Um, and I recognize that you know, there is a lot of privilege in being able to um, just be like, you know what, I don't have to promote myself. Um, because for a lot of people, that's a big part of how they make money and how they support themselves and support their families. Um, but it just, I was getting in my own head. It was becoming very sort of competitive. And, um, you know, I noticed that where for a lot of other people, social media can be a really inspiring place of connection and inspiration. It just wasn't feeling that way for me, Um, which then, of course, led me to get even more in my own head, right? Like, well, what's wrong with me? Am I, you know, am I an asshole? Am I just an asshole, like, who just, you know, can't have positive um, appreciation for this? And at the end of the day, I just said, no, like, it's just, it's just not for me. Um, You know, there's, people get into a lot of arguments and they do get into a lot of competitive sort of things. Who's doing things right? Who has more prestige? Who's, you know, so on and so forth. I think for me then when it comes back to this idea of witchcraft, it just seems so anti-theatical. But I just wanted to call it. um, I just wanted to be done. And so um, I went through different phases of, you know, um, just taking a break from Instagram, um, just deleting the app for a while, um, until finally I was just like, I'm just deleting it forever. Um, Yeah. And it was really difficult. It was more difficult in that moment than I anticipated it being. Um, Uh But I honestly honestly have looked back. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a lot of positive growth in myself in terms of just my ability to focus on what actually brings me joy and 
um, things like that. So it's, you know, it wasn't because I was necessarily mad at anyone or anything like that. Um, It was just what I knew would be the best decision for me. Did you feel like it was an access issue where people maybe had too much access to you personally? Um, Because I get, you know, sometimes I get questions from certain folks like, you know, your presence could be bigger, you should post more, you should do this, you should do that. And I'm kind of like, you know what, I I don't need to share every detail. Um, I don't think anybody cares what I did, you know, what I put in my coffee this morning. There's some, you know, I don't mind other folks oversharing. That's, you know, obviously it's a very individual decision on what you're going to do on on social media, but I just didn't feel like anything I had to say was quite that. I mean, I comment once in a while on stuff, but I I certainly don't like the pile-on mentality where, you know, Mm -hmm. people just jump on someone and, you know, hammer them until they're virtually gone. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just, there's just so much ganging up on things and, and, I I don't like that, and I don't think anybody's all that interesting, and I don't think I'm very interesting. <laughs> I think you're mm-hmm. interesting, which is why I have this show. Um, but it's just, you know, I mean, it just amazes me at what people find to be interesting and relevant about themselves. And I guess that we all are in our own, you know, unique way, sort of, although I don't really think any of us are that special. So it's kind of a dichotomy thing for me. You know, is this interesting? It is to me. It it probably isn't to a single other person in the world, but okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I do wonder, did you feel like people were maybe trying to deep dive into your business too much? I don't know if I necessarily felt like people were, like, invading my privacy in any sense. I feel like it was more, yeah, kind of in lines of, like, I don't even really know what to post because what is so exciting? I mean, like, it's just not the same to me as, like, having a conversation with somebody or um, something like that. Like, I just don't feel like I would get much from making a post, um, and, and, yeah, in terms of, like, what would I post about, again, I think there's sort of that pressure um, that comes from, like, kind of influencer culture that, like, you know, that you're you're posting things that are sort of, like, hot takes or things like that where it really gets, like, a conversation going. Um, but it it doesn't feel like a lot of times those sort of hot takes end up with anything being constructive. Um, yeah. Usually just of feeling like it's kind of, um, again, almost like a competition over, like, who said it first or who said it best. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I just rather, I would just rather share things with a person one-on-one um, or, you know, in a group. But, like, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in person. I mean, like, obviously we can do things virtual. Um, sure. But it's more just, like, I want to I wanna have more of an experience with someone than just, like, here's a picture of, you know, my morning coffee and some words. Um, yeah. But I think... Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. This is just my experience. I think, you know, there's 
so much nuance that goes into why we do certain things and people's motivations. I mean, I think even just, you know, for some people sharing something like that is, is helpful for them because it's sort of like announcing yourself to the world and feeling seen by other people. Um, and I think that that can be really wonderful for some people. Um, but I think that's also what makes it such an interesting conversation is that it's not just one way or the other or, you know, stuff like that. Um, there's so much variance. There is. There is a lot of variance. I just, I wonder what people would do if they literally took the kind of break that you've taken and maybe um, connect on fewer platforms. You know, for example, the whole Twitter thing, I've really backed away from posting anything on Twitter because, you know, for I'm just, it's just me. I'm not comfortable with all the weirdness going on over there. You know, I still mm-hmm. have a page up. But I don't really interact. I don't. I don't post. It's kind of like there are certain people that I only see on there. So I kind of want to keep up on, you know, reading certain writers and and reading certain journalists uh, that still use the platform. But you know, fewer things in my life, not more things. You know, it's and I'm also slowing down. You know, there's a point where, all right, already, I still have a full time day job. And, you know, I'm keeping up on two podcasts, and now I'm supposed to be splashed all over social media. I do believe in too much exposure, that you can, you know, you can just be ever-present too fucking much where people are just like, sick of this bitch already, enough. You know, that's what I have a show for, to let people be sick of me here on my own situation, you know what I mean? Um, but, that, again, just the me thing. Other pe- Listen, social media works out great for a lot of other people. They're very into it. Um, you know, they post everything from what they did when they woke up this morning to what they're wiping their butts with. More power to you. But I just feel like there's a bit more of a mystique when somebody has more boundaries, like you were talking about earlier, I think the reclaiming of boundaries, I think people misunderstand that just because you're not in person doesn't mean you still shouldn't have boundaries or that there should be a lack right. of boundaries because we're not physically in each other's presence. There's all kinds of things that one should protect themselves with. You know, and I think social media should, you know, you should decide your own boundaries, but be aware that you need to have some. Otherwise, people do try to get a deep dive into areas of your life where you may not be comfortable. Right. Right. And I just, I always think about um, (laughs) Robert Frost said, good fences make good neighbors. And I think about that quite a bit. Not only that, but I mean, to be honest with you, not seeing you on social media, once I got, you know, got out of my own head about did I make him mad was to, like, you know, go through someone else and say, is Kelvin mad at me? And them saying no. And, you know, 
by the way, you know, he's got this book and you're really going to like it. And I was like, oh, so I went and ordered a copy. And I'm like, yay, I want to talk to Keldon again. Cool. So you're kind of, it makes you like a little bit of an enigma where we've got to kind of seek you out. And I think that that's neat. I think it's cool that I actually had to do a little bit of digging to find you and drag you back to my <laughs> recently um, talking to Corey from New World Witchery, and he brought up something that I yeah. haven't even thought about. Um, you know, it's difficult now when you sort of get to the end of, like, a podcast and, you know, you often get the question of, like, well, where can people find you? And I was, yeah. you know, like, well, you, <laughs> you can't, like, really. Um, but he brought up, and I don't think this is something that we think about, and I'm glad that it's still a thing, is that when you – when you go to, like, the start of a book, right, so, like, if it's The Crooked Path or The Witch's Sabbath, there's a part where it says if you want to write to the author, um, and you can write me a letter, and it will go to Llewellyn, and then Llewellyn will forward it to me. And I'm like, I would absolutely love if somebody wrote me a letter. I think that would just be yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it would be. But, you know, I'm looking at all them witches, and I'm not seeing where to write you in this book. <laughs> yeah, I didn't put that in. I didn't put it in this one. Um, so maybe I'll have to consider finding a way to add that in. <laughs> well, speaking of this one, All Them Witches, Folktales, and Rhymes, tell me about this book and tell me the entire genesis of this book, like, was this something you had planned for a while? Uh, was it something you had always wanted to do? Tell me about it. So this book really came out of a lot of different emotions and things that I was experiencing at the time. Um, you know, I started writing it, I, you know, before the Witch's Sabbath book even came out, um, you know, well, that book was still in production. Um, one of the things that I was feeling is just I don't, I don't really know what more I want to write about. I don't know, um, you know, what more I'd write about in terms of, like, how to or um, even, like, just a sort of historical book like The Witch's Sabbath. Um, but I love writing, and I knew that, I, you know, I didn't want to stop writing. Um, I also was just feeling sort of an overall um, kind of disenchantment with a lot of different things in my life. Um, and I decided that I wanted to write fiction. Um, and reading has always been a really important part of my life. Um, I started reading really young, um, and my grandma was a librarian. Um, so just the legacy of readers is really um, important in my family. And one of the things that I've always loved reading are folk tales and fairy tales, nursery rhymes. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the type of witchcraft I practice, it's entirely focused on folklore. Um, so I wanted to write a book 
of original folktales and rhymes. Um, some of them in the book are reworkings of things that have already been written um, by other people, um, but I knew that the majority, I wanted them to be original. I also knew that I wanted to self-publish this book because I wanted a lot of freedom in terms of what the book would look like, how long it would be. I knew that I wanted it to be a relatively small book. Um, I kind of struggle sometimes under big word counts. Um, really nice um, to do that. And in terms of the design, yeah, I wanted it to be a smaller-sized book, both in just in terms of length, but also just in terms of, like, the dimensions of the book. I loved the idea of creating something that people could just kind of easily stow in a backpack, um, you know, yep. pull out around a campfire um, and, and read to each other, um, because that's something I really enjoy doing with my family when, you know, when we would go camping or even now, like, going to different camping events. Um, you know, just sharing these stories. So that's really how it got started. Um, I also, I think the other thing too is just that I wanted to find a way that I could still tell important lessons maybe about magic and working with spirits, but in a way that feels more whimsical, um, you know, so these stories can be just that. They can be stories, um, but they could also be meditations or workings or um, so on and so forth. Absolutely. And I find it subtly enchanting in the sense of, you know, you read it and you read the stories and, and the stories wind up being, in some cases, incantations and meditations and spell work. And it kind of, it hides itself in an interesting way through fairy tale styling. And, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, my two favorite things in the book are The Farmer's Daughter and A Most Wicked Malediction. Um and they're very different pieces of writing, and they're both really beautiful. And I still love fairy tales, and no one writes fairy tales like for me. But this mm-hmm. is, you know what I mean? It's it's for. I love it. I think it's it's kind of a must-have because of the styling of it. Uh, like you said, you know, I remember being in a relationship with somebody who's to carry the poetry and on occasion when we would go out hiking or something, just pull it out and start reading a poem, you know, it was a lovely moment. And it's kind of like the same thing. It's very reminiscent of that kind of a book. You realize that you had kind of scanned it that way. So fair play. All right. Um, Because it works that way, and it's thin, and it's lightweight, and it's small, and it fits in my purse, and I, you know, (laughs) carried it around with me a little bit. It's just lovely, and it, you know, it's a way to escape the mundane for a moment and just kind of remind yourself of who you are, if you're a practicing witch especially. Uh, It's just nice. It's just a nice, small book to have with me. 
um, when I'm getting, like today I was having a hell of a day, and I'm like reading A Most Wicked Malediction again because it, I was just really <laughs> angry, and I wasn't doing, I was not doing any workings, I was just reading it to kind of be like, okay, you know who you are, you know you have this capability, go ahead, let, let it go, just stop thinking about what you're mad about for a minute, and it was just nice because I could go back in after a couple of minutes of having this and not feeling like I'm missing all these chapters, I've got to read it all right now and be neglectful of my day job, which they would not appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's small enough and fast enough that it can take you out of a bad headspace for a minute and just kind of bring you back to center. So as a meditative practice or tool, it's extremely useful and it's really nice to have something short to read. You know, mm-hmm. you can read one, you read one two-page story, quick, quick, you feel better, go back to what you were doing, you know. So I love this. And I had asked you earlier, I'm very pleased by your answer, um, that there are going to be more volumes. Yes. Yeah. But I also, when I, when I took on this project, I knew that I wanted to create it in a way um, where there could be future volumes um, yeah. so that, you know, there can be an Alden Witches Volume 2 um, and you get, you know, more folktales and rhymes and that, you know, maybe eventually there's quite a few of these kind of little slim volumes and I just like the idea of, like, a little collection and then, you know, maybe someday then I turn it into, like, a, you know, um, all-in-one volume. I love that what idea. A neat idea. I, I love it too. That's very cool. And Unfortunately, it's not as long as George R. R. Martin's uh, <laughs> volumes, voluminous yeah. volumes as they are. I mean, but I love the idea of having a collection of books. I love the way it's written. So, loving fairy tales. Where did you go? Were there any specific ones that you used for inspiration? Um, are there specific fairy tales that you remember from childhood that were especially influential for you? Mm-hmm. In terms of fairy tales, I mean, I think the most influential one on me was definitely Snow White. Um, mm-hmm. The you know, even from a young age, I had a really deep connection with the Wicked Queen. Um, you know, whereas, like, I think you're, you know, you're supposed to see her as this, you know, evil lady. I saw her as just this beacon of power and mystery. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just drawn to her. Um, when it comes to, like, you know, what what I turn to for inspiration in writing this book, um, it was really just looking at, um, structure the structures that you commonly find in folk tales, the structures um, you commonly find in nursery rhymes. Um, I have a I have a nursery rhyme book, this sort of tattered old one um, that has been in my family for some time, um, and it's it's actually kind of creepy. The drawings in it are a little <laughs> they're just a little funky, um, but I treasure it um, not just because, you know, it's a family item, um, 
But it is. It's helpful to look through nursery rhymes, and I love the idea of creating spells using nursery rhyme structures. Um, you know, you find sort of common phrases or even just the use of kind of um, kind of um, sort of nonsense words, you know, like things like hickety-pickety. Um, yeah. And it just it, it synthesizes into something that is fun and I think really taps into certain um, inspirational roots, if you will. Um, I mean, I think witchcraft, I mean, witchcraft in its entirety is folklore. I mean, it's so rooted in, in that. Um, so, you know, turning to Mother Goose, I mean, Mother Goose, Mother Goose is a witch. Like, she's a witch. Um, <laughs> um, so things like that. Um, I have a lot of really awesome folktale compendiums I've collected over the years. And so just being able to sum through those and get inspiration. Um, but the tales also, I mean, they contain a lot of imagery that's taken from folklore. I mean, the story Black Shuck is all about you know, the folklore of the spectral black dog. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you also find things like Frau Perza um, and things like that. Um, so it's just fun to really just pull these things in, my favorite pieces of lore, and create stories around them. Yeah. I Well, I got to tell you, I used to, because I used to love fairy tales, and, you know, Snow White, Great One, Cinderella, um, <coughs> Silkskin, all the greats, you know, from childhood, and I don't have any of my books left, and this kind of restores that vibe to me, only in an adult witchcraft manner, which I love, mm -hmm. it's so cool that you did this, and I'm really looking forward to collecting more volumes. So do you still have, like, any of your original books from childhood with that story? Um, I have the only one that I have, like, the original of is the Nursery Rhyme book. Um, wow. There's other books that I had as a child that um, I've purchased again um, because I was like, why did I ever lose this or get rid of this? Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's the primary one. In terms of, you know, folktale anthologies, I mean, there's so many out there. Um, you know, I just, which I think is just great. Um, you know, like I'm looking just right now, I've got a book of Nordic folktale sitting on the floor on top of a Brothers Grimm anthology. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're kind of all around me at the moment. Um, a Scandinavian uh, folk and fairy tale book. So there's so many options out there too. I mean, if people are really looking to um, reconnect or, or are interested in looking into folk tales, um, there's a lot of really great options. There's a lot of really great options online, a lot of online resources as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, I just think this is the sweetest thing. <laughs> the book is adorable. It really is. And it, it just gave me a, a thrill to read it because I felt like, now, not that all of this is for children by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Quite not. I mean, let's be honest. It's really not a, it's not a kid's book. Please, if I have given you the idea that it's anything like a children's book, it is not. It is not a children's book. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine? Um, no, no, <laughs> no. Kind of this is, this is, for I'm sorry. Go a ahead. review of somebody disgruntled who's like, I thought I was buying a book for my child, and now they're terrified. And, um, right. But that does go along. I mean, a lot of folk tales and fairy tales originally were really dark. Um, uh-huh. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I just realized, you know, I'm waxing poetic over it, but I'm like, yeah, no, 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 these are not children's stories. These are fa- yeah. When you say fairy tale, I think the the conception is that it's for kids. No, no, not, no, no. Yes, please do not assume that this is a children's book. I'm sorry if I gave you that impression. It is very much not. It is an adult book. Now, I would save it for children for when they're older. Um, <laughs> you know, I certainly wouldn't have a problem handing it off uh, to someone of a teenage set of years. But yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't give it to a little kid. There are there's scary things in here. Fairy, like you said, fairy tales. A lot of the time, are, you know, they're kind of like with the hidden lesson. You know, be careful what you ask for. You know, things of that nature. Like again, my favorite one, the farmer's daughter. You know, it's almost like a pagan morality tale if you could mm-hmm. even use that terminology. Is that something you were going for with this book? Yeah, in the sense that, um, you know, like, I I don't know if I necessarily set out for the majority of them to be sort of these cautionary tales, but that's definitely, mm-hmm. I think, the being is a lot of these are stories that have, yeah, that they sort of do have these, lessons in them about, um, you know, different different ways of doing things. And um, I usually describe it as sort of uh, a collection of wretched little tales about people getting their comeuppance. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes, and sometimes um, you know, who's getting the comeuppance changes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there's, so there's two stories that, um, the lesson sort of parallels um, the greedy-hearted witch is really a story about when you are are disrespectful towards a spirit that maybe you are working with versus the story Piwak, it's sort of the opposite, um, a story about, you know, what happens when a spirit's not respecting you. Um, and I like that juxtaposition um, you know, it, it can bring me back to talking about boundaries. Um, yeah. But, you know, say these lessons about, you know, being respectful to the spirit, but also understanding that spirits need to respect you too. 
Um, and you take care of your own boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. And our entire conversation has been different about different types of boundaries. And it's fascinating what you can learn from a fairy tale, you know, even a modern one like your book, you know, even modern ones like the ones in your book. But I, I love the, the whole comeuppance, the whole boundaries. I just think it's boundaries are something we don't talk about enough, but you do it in the most elegant way in this book, you know, and you really get to see yourself and think about some of your interactions and maybe you need to consider bigger boundaries because I don't think I don't think people contemplate protecting themselves as much as they should. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love this. This is like, I mean, I know you didn't intend it necessarily to be a series of cautionary tales, and it's really only partially that because there are spells in here. There are actual, you know, spell working to do in the mm-hmm. book. I didn't know if you had meant them to be as such as opposed to being, you know, (laughs) poetic writing. I should have Mm -hmm. known that you did. But I'm just asking the question if that's what you meant to do. I really, yeah, I just, I really intended it to be whatever, you know, the reader wants or needs it to be, you know, if, if in the moment you're just looking for a fun piece of poetry or a story, um, you know, that's great. But if, you know, if you mm-hmm. are looking for some sort of spell, um, you know, they're in there. I mean, obviously some of them I think are very overt, um, like a most wicked maldiction or a more most fortuitous blessing. Like, I think it's very sort of on the surface that, like, you could use that. Um, but even within that, um, you know, it's really sort of a list. They're both sort of lists of different pieces of, um, folk magic, things that you can use to, um, you know, enact those. So whether, you know, it's a piece of bramble or a mussel shell, um, you know, it's sort of almost a list of my personal correspondencies, um, but then hidden within um, stories are tucked in little spells. Um, some of them are taken from from recorded folk magic. Um, other ones are just completely written um, from my own mind. So it's a nice it's a nice variety. And I think what's cool about it is I think it maybe it helps people too that to see that you know you can do this outside of a book that's specifically you know, sort of written for witches. I mean, you could pick up one of those anthologies of folk tales um, and pull out things that could be potential spells or potential rituals because because they're in there. Um, yeah. You just have to uh, take that deep dive and explore and allow the enchantment to, to permeate. I just love it. I, I, yeah. You know, everybody, like, has a big book of, you know, recipes, witch recipes. And it's nice to have something 
that is not what we used to call a cookbook or what some people still call a cookbook because it's got all the spells in it. And those are lovely, wonderful books, and I have tons of them. But sometimes you just want something, again, that's light, that you can cart around with you. I mean, it's lovely to just have something that can take you out of your head for a minute. And this is a real departure from what you normally write. And I guess that's part of why I was so surprised about it. Um, because, you know, like The Witch of Sabbath, a, a ton of research had to go into that. And mm-hmm. you always seem to do these, whatever your subject matter is, you seem to do these really huge, all-encompassing deep dives. So was it weird for you to write something that's such a departure from what you normally write? It, it actually, it really wasn't in the sense that you know, growing up, my love for writing um, really grew out of writing fiction stories. Um, you know, my, um, I actually, I dedicated the Witch of Sabbath to her, but my older sister growing up was, you know, always writing stories, and I just copied her because that's what little brothers do. Um, mm-hmm. And... You know, so she really got me into into writing little fiction stories. Um, and I've done that here and there um, throughout my life. Um, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't totally um, unfamiliar to me. Um, and I, I feel like it was, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier and some of the motivations that went into writing this, it was really healing for me. I think it helped feel um, certain parts of me that were feeling really disenchanted, um, disillusioned. Um, it allowed me a place to to explore and have fun, um, you know, to also put out, you know, pieces of information that I think are really great. Um, I guess, like, the primary example is, you know, the first, the book opens with a poem called The Compass Quest, and it contains all of this imagery and information that comes from Robert Cochran that I don't, um, you know, always see talked about a whole lot. Um, And, you know, and the cool thing is is that in the back of the book, for the majority of the stories, I mean, where they were needed, there's notes that give you sort of a little background information about... um, the inspiration for the stories, different source materials. Um, so I was still able to um, have that sort of like uh, historical element, um, you know, where I'm really like wanting to share um, really cool information or resources with people that I feel can be sort of underrepresented. Um, so I was still able to do that, but again, in a way that um, felt, felt more fun and more free in a way that sometimes more academic writing um, isn't. Yeah, I'd imagine not. I mean, and I, you know, I have to ask, was it easier to do this as a self-published book and now that you've done a self-published book, is it something you want to continue to do on your own? I did enjoy doing going the self-publishing route. 
Um, it was mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, I mean, it was a big learning curve. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. it does. I mean, there's so many different ways of, of doing self-publishing, and there's a lot of really excellent resources for people. Um, so, you know, you can definitely take advantage of those. But it was a learning curve, but I'm really pleased with, you know, how it ended up, and I would definitely um, go that route again. Um, you know, especially just I knew that I wanted to create something really specific, and I felt that in order to do that, I needed to really have 100% um, control over how it was being done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't blame you. I think I think it turned out the way, and I hope it turned out exact. This book turned out exactly the way you wanted it to. I wouldn't have changed anything about it at all, and I absolutely love it exactly as it is, and I don't think it would have been the same book any other way. Thank you. You're welcome. So I have to ask, are you now working on one of the books that you, you know, a book like you've written previously that's a a deep dive into a subject matter, or are you taking a break, or are you working on the next volume of this already? (laughs) <laughs> well, I've started compiling a list of sort of folklore pieces and themes for volume two. Um, and at the moment, I'm working on um, a, a book that will be a return to the academic sphere. Um, and you know, I'm really enjoying just taking it very slow and not having that pressure of, you know, deadlines or word counts or, you know, even if this, <laughs> like, I mean, I really hope it ends up being a thing. Um, but even if it doesn't, you know, like, there's not that pressure of, like, this has to, you know, end up being a book. This could end up being um, a series of blog posts if, you know, if I changed my mind. Um, right. So it, it will be um, sort of an anthology or collection of just further um, essays on the Witch's Sabbath. Um, there's just so much more um, material, information, stories, lore um, that I wasn't able to get into the book, um, mm-hmm. as well as just all the stuff that I continue to learn. Um, and so I liked the idea, again, of having something um, where it's like a volume, right? So it's set up not necessarily as a book in the sense that The Witch's Sabbath was, but it's a collection of essays, um, which then allows you the opportunity that as you learn more, if you ever wanted to, you could do another volume. Um, and I really like that model of writing. Yeah. I I can understand. You you are a man of many talents. You have all the styles. You can write academia. You can write fairy tales. I'll tell you what, there are not a lot of people in this world that can do both successfully. So that's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's just um, part, part of the, the liminal nature of 
being a witch, right? You are always one foot in one thing and another foot in the other. Yeah. So are you doing any other writings? Are you are you doing any blogging? Um Yeah, I've got some um I have been doing um I've been writing things for the Llewellyn annuals, which has been really fun to do. So you know, I've got um some stuff in the twenty twenty three almanac and the date book and I'll have more um in the 2024 book, which I'm really excited about that because that will be um, a series of little things. Um, That's fun. Um, I am working on starting up a new blog. Um, You know, I was blogging for Patheos for a number of years, and then I stopped that um, just because I wasn't really feeling, again, like, I really had much to write about, um, but I'm definitely sort of feeling a itch to write more things. So um, I can send you that um, for like show notes or um, things like that. Um, but yeah, I don't have anything up absolutely. to that. I just framework that. Um, again, that's just sort of been my model. Just no pressure. I'll write when I write. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that's really been working for me. So I've got to ask, are you still playing the ukulele? I am, yeah. Yep. Yay! I still am. I don't know if I'll ever stop. Um, it's definitely one of the things I really enjoy doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's happening. I was worried because sometimes, you know, when life gets really full, people forget about their music and their art aside from their daily doing. And I'm just tickled to death that you still play. I think that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I really, um, that's a hobby that I've enjoyed now for, gosh, like, oh, God, I'm getting old, a decade um, it's been, yeah, it's been oh. like 10 years ukulele, so. <laughs> Listen, I've been podcasting for almost 11. Uh, as of next month, it'll be 11 years that I've had this show. So, wow. Yeah, I, 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 I know what it means to do something for more than a minute, for sure. But you know uh, what? Kind of a, you know, we're at the, it, it's crazy. It, it's crazy how time yeah. flies and you don't even realize it, right? Mhm. Oh, we are pretty much at the end, and I can't even tell people where to find you. So here's what I'm going to say instead. First of all, oh, by the way, uh, Rosemary's Baby is my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, yes, excellent. <laughs> yeah, it is. Just in case folks were wondering about the title, All Them Witches, um, it is like a riff off of all of them, which is from Rosemary's Baby, right? Yes, and it and it actually wasn't until writing the note in the back of the book specifically about that that I realized that in the in the book and in the movie it's actually all of them witches. Um, but at that uh-huh. point, I had grown so in love with all them witches 
and I liked the cadence of that a little bit more. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's great because it immediate because when I got the book, it immediately evoked Rosemary's Baby, and I always wanted a book that was related to it, and this is the book I wanted. So it was great. I mean, did I want a picture book of Stephen Mercado and his family? Of course I did, but it doesn't (laughs) exist because it wasn't a real book. No, but, I mean, since childhood, Rosemary's Baby has been my absolute, and I hate horror. I am not a horror fan, but Rosemary's Baby is my absolute favorite, hands down. So this tickles me to death. But what I will say in addition to that is uh, folks who want to get in touch with Keldon, um, you can write to him through Llewellyn, or if you just want to send me a message on Facebook, <laughs> I will pass it along. How's that? Is that fair, that, Keldon? That, that is fair. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Keldon, this book is amazing. It's such a great little book to have. I really encourage everybody to get it. All Them Witches, Folk Tales and Rhymes by Keldon. You can get it on Amazon. You can you can get it other places as well, right? Are you are you everywhere yep. or are you in limited release? I think it's everywhere. I I think you can order it from um I've also seen it on Barnes and Noble. Um Cool. Those are sort of the two kind of like big box places you can find it. Um, yeah. It's that I'm not, I'm not actually sure. Well, if you ask me, I'll help you find it if you don't want to buy it from Amazon. How's that? Um, so just hit me up through the show Facebook page if you guys need any help. It's such a sweet book, though. You'll really enjoy it. And it's it's got that edge like we witches like it. I'm just saying. Kelvin, will you come back for your next book? I would love to talk to you again. Of course. I would love to come back. It's always a great time. I would love to. Thank you so much. Again, Kelvin, All Them Witches. Everybody check it out. Kelvin, thank you again. You take care. Thank you. You too. Thanks. All right, guys. I am off until a week from Sunday. Uh, I will be back with Deborah Lip, and we're going to talk about Beyond the Binary. So it's going to be pretty exciting. Have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you then. Bye.